past, that willingness to be right, uh, that willingness to just walk with God and uh, to understand if, if God be for me, who can be against me? If I'm right with God, there's nothing that can, can be of hindrance. And uh, just getting to this point, I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of, of uh, being a secret uh, or having a secret life. I'm, I'm tired of, of just these secrets and these lies that I have to continue to uh, tuck away, uh, fearful that others might know what's really happening in my own life. And, and really, when we come to that point, uh, we uh, want the Lord in such a way, uh, then God uh, will do something in our midst very special for us. Second Chronicles chapter 7, would you stand with me as we read together? Uh, again, very familiar revival passage. And we want to examine here tonight uh, really a path that God sets forth uh, for revival. In Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 12, this is at the dedication and following the dedication of the temple. I'll come back and give you some context here in just a moment. But uh, uh, verse number 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, the Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And so this is God's promise unto Solomon at the dedication or following the dedication of the temple. And here God promises Solomon that I will send revival. I will restore the land if my people will come to that place, that that's what they want, and they're willing to pay the price for that. We're going to look at this path tonight for revival. I'd like you to join me this evening, and would you pray and ask the Lord to have his way in this service at this time, that God's way would be done in our lives tonight. I want the Lord. Father, thank you tonight. Uh, it's just a, a blessing to be in this place. We've sensed all day your, your very presence here and Lord, how good you have been unto us, how good you are to us. And, and Lord, how you so want to give revival in our midst. You want to give it more than we want it. And so sometimes we're very fearful of, uh, of you. We're fearful of your presence. We're kind of like Adam and Eve that sometimes rather than uh, coming to face you in the garden with our sin, we uh, tend to hide away and, and to sow fig leaves and to make excuses. But I pray, God, that you would take away all of the fig leaves and, Lord, all of the excuses tonight and that uh, you would confront us tonight just as you confronted Adam. You said, Adam, where art thou? And, Lord, I pray that you would bring us into the open tonight, that you'd bring Valley by Baptist into the open that you'd bring us as individuals before your presence and Lord that uh, you would uh, just put and instill this conviction in our heart that we want to be right with you whatever the cost and we pray tonight that you would minister in this means in Jesus name we'd ask and pray amen and you may be seated this evening give you just a, a bit of background here there's a very special passage of scripture here second chronicles and 
Here in 2 Chronicles, uh, young King Solomon has just completed the building of the temple. And uh, they tell us that this was a, a luxurious uh, temple, one of the seven wonders of the world at that time, and uh, filled with gold and silver and, and bronze. And just the beauty, uh, the ornate beauty of this temple was beyond the comprehension, beyond imagination. It was quality workmanship. It was the very, very best. And I think this was the heart of Solomon. This was God's temple. He was going to build the very best temple that he could possibly build. He wanted this to be something that would be an honor and a glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they've completed the building of that temple and all the leadership of Israel, religious leaders and, uh, and uh, political leaders have been called uh, to the dedication of that temple. As that temple is dedicated, I want you to back up with me in chapter 6 and, and just notice here the prayer of Solomon, one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible here at the dedication of this temple. In, uh, in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 6, I want to begin reading, we'll read several verses here. Uh, the prayer of Solomon, beginning at verse number 12. And the Bible speaks here, and he stood, this is Solomon, before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and set it in the midst of the courts, and upon it he stood, and he kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel spread forth his hands toward heaven. So I want you to get this picture. Here is this, uh, this platform, this scaffold that uh, Solomon has set up in the midst of the congregation in the midst of the of the court and he comes to that uh, lifted up uh, three cubits up above the people and he bows on his knees there on that platform and he begins to spread his hands toward heaven as he's bowed prostrate and uh, reaching up and praying this prayer unto the Lord verse 14 and he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven nor in the earth, which keep us covenant and show us mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Thou which hast kept with thy servant David, my father, that which thou hast promised him, spakest with thy mouth, hast fulfilled it in thine hand as it is this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, that which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit upon the throne of Israel. Yet so that thy children take heed to their way to walk in my laws. Thou hast walked before me. Now then, O God, O Lord God of Israel, let thy word be verified, which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. And Solomon is recognizing, here's the God of the universe. And he said, the heavens cannot contain God. How much less can this house, this glorious, this luxurious house that I've built and dedicating how much less can this house hold and house the Lord? But uh, notice this, and uh, he says, Have respect, in verse number 18, Therefore to the prayer of thy servant, to this, his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayed before thee, that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, upon the place where thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place, Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. And so as he's dedicating this temple to the Lord, he says, Lord, he said, heaven cannot contain you, but he said, would you look upon this place with your favor? 
And he said, whenever your people pray toward this place, would you hear from heaven and would you forgive their sin and would you heal their land? Now that's the context of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I want you to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I want you to notice as Solomon has dedicated this temple unto the Lord. In verse number 1, it says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Can you imagine here in the midst of the congregation, uh, suddenly the fire comes from heaven, consumes the burnt offering, kind of like in the days of Elijah when Elijah called fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifices on Mount Carmel. Here the Lord consumes the sacrifice. But the statement is this, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. We have here the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, we have here God manifesting his presence. God revealing to Solomon, I have accepted your prayer. And I have looked at this house as a very special place, God says unto Solomon. Here all of the people witnessing this glory of God bow upon their faces. And let me say that's what revival is. is coming into the presence of God. It's a new sense of God's glory, of God's presence. And quite honestly, that's lacking in America today. Miss Mary, you mentioned this in your testimony time. There is so little fear of God. Uh, to come into the presence of God, any one of us in our sinful conditions would be consumed in just a moment of time. God is holy, holy, holy tonight. And here the children of Israel have gained a sense of that glory of God, that holiness of God. If we could comprehend tonight how glorious, how holy God is. And in our sinful being, we cannot enter into that glory, into that presence of God. And uh, when, we, uh, when we arrive in heaven, all sin is going to be wiped away. And it's only as that sin is wiped away that we will experience in that day that full glory, that full presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that's kind of the context here. And you look in verse number 11 of chapter 7. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. And all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house he prosperously effected. Everything was completed. God has manifested himself in his glory. God has revealed to Solomon uh, this uh, acceptance of this house. And then in verse number 12, we read, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. I have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. Now here's what we're going to look at tonight. <coughs> in our passage, God gives us a path for revival. Uh, I believe that although this is in the context speaking of the temple and the dedication of that temple and those of you that go to Israel, you're going to have an opportunity 
to view this Temple Mount and you're going to see some magnificent history in the very location where these events have taken place. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to experience that, going to see that. And the context speaks of that temple and the context, thank you, Brother, Brother Matoya. Wow, I'm, I'm blessed today. I've got two bottles right back there that I've opened and started drinking and now I get a third one here and uh, we'll get started here. And by the way, uh, I don't think any of you want to take my water. I got germs here, amen. And so here we have this path for revival that God is given to us. Now, in the context, we're speaking of the temple and the prayers toward that temple. But I believe here tonight, the principles given show us how God's people can experience revival. I'm thoroughly convinced that any individual who wants revival can have revival. If you will come to the point and apply the principles that God gives us here in this word tonight you can experience the touch of God, the presence of God in a very real way. And so we're going to make an application here tonight that will lead a path of revival in our lives. Let me take a drink here. I want you to notice verse number 14. Uh, and the first uh, principle that we'll see here are the people of revival. In verse 14, the statement is, if my people, my people, which are called by my name. God is speaking here, in this case, to the children of Israel, his people. But the application that we're going to make tonight, God's people, Christians, those that are saved. You see, we see a great need in our world today. We talked about that this morning. Uh, we're living in a, a world that is, that is uh, in turmoil today and constantly there are events taking place. Uh, Iran and uh, Iraq and Hezbollah and constant uh, uh, thorns that are, are flying towards Israel. And we've got uh, a lot of turmoil in the Middle East today and, and the war, the, the rumors of war that are all about us. And we've got a world that is in great need. And, and we have politicians today that are lacking common sense. And I'm just amazed at the, the left-wing liberal direction and agenda in our nation. The moving, uh, you know, it was Khrushchev in 1956 that stated that uh, they would never have to fire a shot against America, that they would overtake America from within. And we're seeing through our educational systems today a movement towards socialism and a lack of common sense. And really all you have to do is look towards Venezuela and see what's been accomplished in Venezuela. And you can look towards China and see what's been accomplished in China. And yet we have politicians that want to take our nation in that direction today. And it has no common sense. That it just is so contrary to our foundations and so contrary to the Word of God. And it's, it's being fueled today by this liberal media and this liberal agenda. And there is a, a definite movement today to overthrow everything that America has stood for, everything that America has known in its past. And there's this move today taking place in our midst. And, and we're seeing the people of the land that have followed a, a path of sin and, and sold multitudes in bondage today. I was just reading that uh, here the opiate addiction and uh, the prescription drugs has, has led to uh, really a, a new, uh, a younger, the, for the first time in the history for a long time, the, the age, average age of lifespan has uh, taken a dive and gone downward because so many people have died of opiate addictions and 
Uh, we've known that here in this valley uh, year after year where this used to be the number one drug OD uh, per capita in the entire world right here in, in our valley. And so we've known that, but the rest of our nation is catching up to that. And, and we have today a blatant disregard for the word of God and uh, movements towards abortion and adultery and same-sex marriage and pornography and immorality and on and on uh, we go. And we would describe it as it wasn't the days of Sodom. Uh, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. And so we have definitely in our world uh, a mess. But let me express something here tonight. Uh, we pray for those things and we pray for our world, but that's not where revival begins. Uh, God deals with us. The world doesn't have the answers today. Uh, we can expect that from a world. They, the world does not know Jesus Christ and an individual without Christ, the natural direction of their life is going to be a path of sin. And the answer for the world today are not the politicians, it's not the people, it's not Hollywood, it's not the educational system today and we can gripe and complain and murmur about all the events around us, but in reality, a revival must begin with God's people. If my people call by my name, and revival must begin in the hearts of Christians. And the real problem today, if God's people were what they ought to be, uh, friend, the world wouldn't be in the situation it is in today. Christians are the key. A relationship with Christ. If God's people are right, then all is going to be well. And, and we can't change the world until we're willing to be changed ourselves. And so here tonight, the people of revivals, God's people, that's you and I tonight. That's Valley Bible Baptist Church. We can look about us in Española and we can see uh, the, the needs and the problems of our community and we can see the problems of northern New Mexico and we can see all that is about us, but the real need, the real answer tonight must begin with you and with I and a willingness at all costs to be right with God. It's the people of revival. Now look back in verse number 13. And there are some promptings for revival. God said to his people, he said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence, notice this, he says, among my people. Now if you go back into the book of Deuteronomy, God warned his people. There will be consequences of sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God said, if you will obey me, then I'm going to bless you. And he says, my blessings will come upon you. And as you enter into the land, if you keep my word and follow my word, then my hand is going to be upon you. But God said in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he said, if you come into the land and you disobey me and you do not follow my word and you my command. He said, my curses are going to come upon you. And this was God's warning to the children of Israel. And now as this temple is dedicated unto the Lord, uh, God says, Solomon, if I shut up heaven, 
If I close the heavens and there is no rain, it's going to be because of my chastening hand. He says, Solomon, if I have allowed the locust to devour the crops, and that's my chastening hand. And he says, Solomon, if I allow pestilence and disease to overtake the land, he says, these are things, these are tokens in my life. This is my judgment, but these are tokens of mercy. And friend, listen tonight. God will not allow his people to break the principles of his word and get by with it. God will always, always, always deal with sin in the lives of his people. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. If we can understand tonight, God is holy. There is such a flippant attitude today amongst Christianity. It's this attitude basically that I am a sinner. I can do whatever I want and God will understand. And it's God's job to be my Santa Claus and to bless me. And I can live my life as I want to. And it's God's job to bless me in the way I want. And God forbid that God would ask me to do his way the things of God. But friend, that's flippant attitude that brings the judgment of God. And God tonight is holy, holy, holy. And God expects his children to follow the principles of his word. And God said when his children do not follow the principles of his word, I'll close the heavens and there'll be no rain. He says I'll close and I'll devour the crops and I'll allow pestilence and disease in their midst. Those are really tokens of mercy. And I'm so thankful tonight that my God loves me enough that he will not allow me to live in sin and get by with it. God deals with it in our life. And 2 Chronicles describes this position. It's really a position of desperation. See, before true revival comes, we must come to the end of ourselves. And so God puts us in that position. <coughs> See, as long as I can trust myself, as long as in our churches we can trust our programs and human ability, as long as we uh, can depend upon uh, our abilities and our uh, organization and all that we do, and I'm not against programs, I'm not against organization, but here's the problem so often, rather than looking to God and his power, we depend upon what we can do and human ability and human direction. And God sometimes will close the windows of heaven and we recognize that uh, there is no rain. We become dry spiritually. And uh, we come to this point, Lord, where have you gone? And, and Lord, I don't sense your presence in my life as I once sensed your presence. And uh, Lord, I feel as if the heavens are closed and my prayers are not being answered. And sometimes the Lord sends the locusts and allows the fruit to be devoured and that spiritual fruit. And sometimes he allows the pestilence and spiritual sickness in our life. And it's to bring us to this point of desperation. You see, God's working all things together for good. And God loves you so much that he wants to put you at the place where there's no place to look but up to him. He brings you to that place at that point of my people, which are called by my name. And so this becomes that place, that crime as we spoke of this morning, for revival. That leads us to this prayer, verse 14. He says, if my people, called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. See, this, this comes to the place where, Lord, if you don't intervene, I'm going to be destroyed. And in desperation, as we spoke this morning, this heart cry 
for revival. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Uh, Lord, I remember the days when you were working in our midst and I've seen in the past your mighty hand. And Lord, I long for that again in my life. And I want to know that fruitfulness of the Christian life. And as Isaiah said, wilt thou not rend the heavens and come down? This is the cry of desperation, this prayer for revival from God's people. Luke chapter 18, verse number 1 says, uh, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, what we find is before in history, before every major movement of God, there's been a movement of the Spirit of God amongst God's people in this direction of prayer. Every time I've read of revival, I find that prior to the outpouring of God's Spirit, there was a movement of prayer. There was a stirring in the hearts of God's people. There was a hard cry. There was this desperation. There was this realization we need God. And we have more to do than we can ever accomplish in human flesh. And I failed and I'm not walking as I ought to walk. And I'm not living a holy standard. And I can't do it on my own. I need God. And so God's people coming to that place and crying out to God. Lord, I'm living a defeated Christian life. I can't do victoriously on my own. I need you. I need your power. I want you to keep your place here, Second Chronicles. And, and let me just give you an illustration biblically. If you go with me to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, start in chapter 1. <coughs> Acts chapter 1. You'll see that prayer and revival go hand in hand. My people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, this is after the ascension of Christ into heaven. And the Bible tells us in verse 14, speaking of this local church, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. And the Bible tells us, verse 15, the number of disciples together, about 120. And, and so we have this group of, of Christians, this local church. I call it the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. They are meeting together. They are praying together. The Bible says they have continued in prayer. They've continued in supplication. Now remember, the Lord has been taken from them into heaven. And God has given the commission that they're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the task before them is humongous. And the Lord has said, my spirit, he says in chapter 1, verse number 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, they're given a humanly speaking impossible task. And they're coming to God one accord in prayer, I believe seeking the face of God. I believe they're fasting, they're praying, they're seeking God. Uh, they're realizing it's a hard cry, God, we cannot reach the world unless you empower us to reach the world. And God, we need you and we're looking to you. They're met together day after day, pray. And always before a major movement of God is prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. What are they doing? They're praying. God told us that in Acts chapter 1. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as the fire. It set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And this is simply languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you read through this passage of Scripture as they preached, as they spoke in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked to the heart. This is the very group that has crucified the Lord. And here boldly the disciples filled with the Spirit of God preach the Word of God. And the Bible says that they are pricked to the very heart. They're under deep conviction. That's not the work of man. That's the supernatural work of God's Spirit. And friend, that is so lacking today. And we'll not see true conversions until there is a supernatural conviction of God's Spirit that comes from heaven above. And this came in answer to prayer. Verse 41 <coughs> says, Then they that gladly received his word, <coughs> excuse me, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We have 3,000 saved, baptized on that day under conviction in answer to the prayer of God's people. Always prayer comes before revival. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The disciples have been persecuted. Uh, they have been commanded not to preach again in the name of Jesus. In verse 31, and when they had prayed, there's prayer, the place was shaken where they were assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness and the multitude that believed were of one heart, of one soul. This is the unity, one accord in prayer. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And notice this, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. We go to chapter 5 and verse 14, the results. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. There's prayer, and then there's revival. There's a desperation. There's the realization, God, we need you. We can't do this without you. As they come together begging God for his power, God intervened and boldly they preached the word of God. Multitudes saved. Acts chapter 12. In this passage of scripture, James has been martyred. Peter's in prison, verse 5. Acts 12, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but notice this, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the, uh, and, and the, keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and I underline this in my Bible, his chains fell off from his hands. Now you notice here, before the deliverance was the prayer. And prayer made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Let me tell you this, all over this valley, there are young men and young ladies in the bondage, in chains, under addictions. There are homes. 
wrecked apart and torn apart and there are are Christians that are bound uh, in strongholds of the devil and strongholds of the enemy and we find here that and there's a beautiful testimony here Peter is delivered the chains fell off and friend if we're going to see the power of God and the deliverance of God and the chains removed from lives and we're going to see rebellious young people brought into full submission Uh, we're going to see workers raised up to preach the gospel over northern New Mexico Uh, we're going to see preachers rise up and laborers to go out into the harvest is going to take place if my people called by my name would humble themselves and pray friend this is a place of desperation I think we're close to the return of Jesus Christ I don't think we've got long left I think there are people right here in our valley that are going to experience and submit to the Antichrist if they don't get saved. I think it's a point of desperation. I think there are people right here that you daily work with They're going to be left behind. The trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ will rise. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. And friend, the wrath of God then is going to be poured upon those that are left behind. It's a place of desperation. There are chains that must be broken. And only God can give that deliverance. So when God's people get desperate enough, they'll pray. 1858, 1859, there were two teenage boys in Wales. They got a burden for their church, for their community. They began to meet. They would go up into the mountains and pray. It was a man that became curious, where are those boys going? And this man followed the boys and he witnessed as these boys fell upon their face crying out to God for revival. He asked the boys, can I join you? He began to join those boys in prayer and, and then uh, multitudes began, uh, uh, the word spread and, and prayer meetings began to rise up and God worked in might and power and literally hundreds, thousands came to Jesus Christ. Mighty movement of God in Wales. It was Edinburgh Baptist Chapel, the early 1900s. One widow woman became burdened because she was seeing so few people saved in her church. And she saw all around her the great need. And uh, this one widow woman got a burden. She began to pray, God, send revival in our midst. And as she cried out to God, God raised up a man, Joseph Kemp, and sent that man as the pastor of that church. And God mightily moved in their midst. But it would be pointed back to one woman who humbled herself and began to pray and seek the face of God. And so we have here the prayer for revival. Go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. We have here this position of revival. Uh, As we pray, if my people, verse 14, which are called by my name, and this is crucial, shall humble themselves humble themselves, the position of humility. This is position of becoming a beggar before God. It's a position of realizing I've got a great need and I cannot meet that need on my own. And I'm not ashamed to bring that need before the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming as a beggar to God. I'm kind of like blind Bartimaeus.
son of David, have mercy upon me. And the other disciples said, Bartimaeus, be quiet, be quiet. And he the more cried out, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He would not be denied. Here's blind Bartimaeus, I'm blind, I need deliverance. And the only one that can deliver me is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what you think about me, I want Jesus. And I'm going to have Jesus. I'm willing to do whatever it costs. That's the humility. That's the beggar. We come in a position of humility. We come in a position of desire. Notice the statement and seek my face. I want Jesus. I want Jesus more than all this world can offer. I want Jesus more than the entertainment of the world. I want Jesus more than I want the power and position of the world. More than I want the pleasures of the world. I want the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want Jesus. I want to seek his face. I want to be like Paul the apostle that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. Seeking the face of the Lord. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords that's the spirit and heart of revival and it's a position of repentance he says in turn from their wicked ways now think about this God speaking not to the world he's speaking my people called by my name would humble themselves seek my face and pray and he's saying and my people turn from their wicked ways. Uh, Coming to this realization, it is sin that is keeping me from revival. It is sin that keeps me from the power of God. If you're saved, that salvation can never be taken away from you. That is secure in the Lord, never to be taken away from you. But friend, it is sin that keeps you from the touch of God, the power of God, the wonderful blessings that God would give. And God speaks here of this position of repentance, this position that keeps the separation. And let me just close here tonight with this thought. This person of revival. See, Jesus Christ is the source of revival. When we say I'm seeking revival, what you're saying is I'm seeking Jesus. I want Jesus. Look with me, verse 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Here the Lord says to Solomon, Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Now, if you remember in the book of Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 10, Daniel has been taken captive into the land of Babylon. Uh, Darius has made a decree that no one is to pray in the name of any other king or God but to him. The Bible says that Daniel went into his room as he always did and he opened his windows toward Jerusalem And he bowed upon his knee and he prayed 
He's praying towards Jerusalem. He's thinking back to this wonderful promise that God gave to Solomon. God said to Solomon, my name will be upon this house and my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is prayed in this place. And now Daniel, 500 miles away from the temple, is praying from Babylon toward the temple and you'll find that Jews all over the world would pray toward the temple because of this promise that God had given to them. I believe here's what God's saying to us tonight. That temple is a picture of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is that temple of God and it's a type, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, what the Bible is expressing to us as his children, my name shall be upon the Lord Jesus Christ and my prayer uh, or my ears attend unto the prayer that is prayed toward this place. And, and you know the Lord says to you tonight, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that my, your joy may be full. And, and the Bible says if we ask anything in his name that he gives that unto us. This this is the picture that is given to us as Christian. We are to pray toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We are seeking the Lord. We are begging God for revival. I have not the power to bring about revival, but I have a God that has that power. I have not the power to forgive sin, but I have a God that can forgive sin. I have not the power to answer prayer, but I have a God that I can go to. I have not the power for all of the problems that we have in the world today. I have not the problem uh, to deal with the young people and to bring about and call people to ministry and to raise up uh, a godly preachers all over the world. I have not that power, but I have a God that I can take that need to. I have a God that when I have a need and we have wayward situations, I have a God that I can pray to. And the Lord is attent unto the prayer that is prayed toward him. You see, revival is simply a new beginning of the awareness of God and his presence and coming into his presence. I, I'm going to close. Go to Psalm 85. This is where we were this morning. Psalm 85 dealt with this just briefly this morning. Make a, a comment here. Psalm 85. This was a heart cry for revival. Psalm 85. Look in verse number 6. Here the psalmist says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people, who are the people of revival, is God's people, Thy people may rejoice in what? In thee. In thee. See, what, where are we rejoicing? What are we looking to? What is our joy in this life? Is your real joy in Jesus Christ? What if everything were taken away from you? What if you lost your home? What if you lost your job? What if you lost your car and your possessions? What if you were thrown into prison? You lost your freedom. Would you still rejoice in the Lord? Could you be like Paul the Apostle? Freedom taken away, but he says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. See, I, I think it's an indication we need revival because we find our joy in the things of this world instead of in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's the cry, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Lord, would you be my all in all? And if I lose everything else, I can never lose you and let my joy be in you and in you alone. In the very presence of God. That's revival. 
when we lose that sense of God's presence, we need a new touch from God. And that needs to be our heart cry. Here's this path. If my people, the windows of heaven are closed, there's locusts devouring the fruit. No rain from heaven, spiritually dry. Pestilence all about us. <coughs> Famine in the land. If my people, called by my name, would humble themselves, and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. God says, then will I hear from heaven. Then, notice that, then, conditional. If, then, conditional. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. Then will I heal their land. That's what I long for. That's what I need. That's what I want for Valley Bible Baptist Church. We don't have long before Jesus comes back. My prayer is that we'll see God move, work in might and in power. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Again, who would join me and say, Preacher, I want that in my life. I want revival. I want the Lord. I want the touch of God.